The forces of evil will try everything to get you to answer their call. They will taunt you, they will bear false witness, and yet we must stand firm. You must know who you are and whom you are motivated to serve. And today we're going to have a sermon titled, A Time to Stand Firm. We're going to be continuing our examination of the book of Nehemiah, that great memoir which shows us what it really means to find a backbone in a world where no one really wants to step up to the plate. But yet, Nehemiah, he stands firm and he shows us such a great example of what it's like to have conviction, to have an understanding that you are living your life in service to God, and that means you ignore the beckoning call of those who want to destroy you. We are in a moment where great forces are ripping apart our nation and attempting to redefine how we interact with one another. Now, at the core of this, there is a great spiritual battle of beliefs. And we must realize that this is something we have to engage in. It's exhausting, but we must stand firm and look to the beautiful light of the gospel and show it to our neighbors because that is the only alternative that there is to the destruction in this world. Now, when we look at the world around us, there are a lot of grotesque and destructive things that demand we bow down. And we must stand firm on the holy principles of God. We must not bow down to the things that the world wants us to. And right now, even if you look around our nation, there are places where churches are told and threatened with lawsuits if they're open. May God have mercy on these churches. May they have the firm backbone to say no to all of this. Our world is hungry for an alternative, and we must stand firm on the gospel of Christ Jesus and cast a vision of holiness to our neighbors. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor here at Kingdom of the Logos, and let's open up in prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you come now. Open up our hearts and minds to receive your wisdom, strength, and encouragement. Lord, we pray for those around our world right now. We pray for those in our, our nation, Lord. May they have a backbone to stand up to the forces which are truly seeking to separate us from God. Lord, as we look to the world around us, there are so many who want to redefine what it means to, to be saved, Lord. They look to worldly forces, governments, and things of that nature to find salvation and even condemnation. Lord, we pray that people will set their eyes on you. Lord, we thank you for your great nobility your truth, your perfect justice. Lord, we thank you for the great honor and beauty it is to live within your kingdom. We ask all of this through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So as we begin, we're going to be continuing on our real study of the book of Nehemiah. And there's so many fascinating things. We're going to really be splitting chapter 6 into two parts. So we're going to read most of chapter 6 today, though when it comes to time next week, we'll be picking up in the very tail end of that because we need to have a elaborate conversation on what it means for there to be division within your own house. But for now, I want us to, to just spend a few moments going through the first majority of Nehemiah chapter 6. And without any further hesitation, let's go ahead and just, yeah, jump right into the text. All right, so we're going to be going down to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, Now when it was reported to Sambalot and Tobiah and to Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem said to me, Come, let us meet in, together in one of the town villages that are down below in the plain of Olo. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while and I leave to come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them all in the same manner. And in the same way, Sambalot sent for me a fifth time, and this time a servant came with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says that it is true, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. 
according to this report, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There is a king in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. And then I said to him, No such things have been done, as you say. You are inventing them out of your mind. And at that, they all wanted to frighten us. They wanted us to be thinking. Their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And then one day, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his house, he said, Come, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for there are people coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and to make me sin by acting in this way so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God. According to these things that they have done, and also the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And that's where we're going to wrap up our scripture for today. And this is a very, very fascinating thing indeed. Because one of the things that we, we can clearly see in this text is that the forces of evil, they want you to come down. They want you to step down. The forces of evil, they're going to try everything to get you to answer their call. They will taunt you. They will bear false witness. Yet you must stand firm. You must know who you are and whom you are motivated to serve. Nehemiah, he stood firm in his conviction, and there's a great deal that we can learn from this. He didn't just answer the beckoning call of those who wanted to destroy him. And we are in a moment where great forces do call us down. And there are many in the church who want to step down from the high principles to come down and negotiate with people who want to destroy them. And they lie. They don't come out right. And none of those letters and none of those times that Gershom, the Arab, and Sanballat and Tobiah, none of those times they invite Nehemiah did they outright say they want to destroy him. They're bearing false witness. They're liars, folks. But they do want Nehemiah to step down, to have this fake negotiation where they really are just trying to destroy him. This happens all throughout history, and there are people who do this today. But on the contrast of that, so many in our world recognize that this is going on and they're hungry for an alternative. And now is a great time for us to realize the church has a missional call. Let's view ourselves as missionaries in our own local geographies and go out and show our neighbors, our local close in proximity geographical neighbors, show them the vision of holiness that says there's an alternative to San Balat and Tobiah. And as we continue to examine this portion of Nehemiah chapter 6, I want us to return to the illustration of Goblin Town. You know, I, I brought this up a few a few weeks ago, several several sermons ago, and I want to return to the illustration of Goblin Town in order to truly understand the spiritual nature of Sambalot and Tobiah's wickedness. Sambalot and Tobiah, they represent something more than mere worldly adversaries to Nehemiah, for they truly are citizens of Goblin Town, that terrible city representing the dark existence and sin where there's no beauty, no truth, no justice, no purity, no goodness, and nothing that is virtuous at all. It's a terrible place. Of misery. It's a city whose hunger is straight out of Genesis 4, where you find Cain there getting advice from God. God tells him, he says, it is crouching near, desiring all the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve so that it might consume them. 
evil, darkness, the, the sin. It doesn't just want to get you to do things. It wants to have you. Goblin Town is terrible, but it has an effective sales pitch in selling people a meaningless equality. It, it's always an effective thing to call people down into the depths. It's, it's always masked and surrounded by such a form of bearing false witness that people often like what they hear. You know, the Goblin Town, it sells people in equality in the darkness where there's no judgment. You don't have to see that there's a difference between you and, and someone else that might be more attractive. No, there's an equality in the darkness where nothing can happen but the lowest level of existence. And this is sad because it feeds into the most basic levels of existence and it doesn't let us have eyes and ears that look at God and realize that God sees beauty that we could never imagine. And we don't have to have some worldly approval of worldly standards, but we can be restored to God and our Heavenly Father will see great beauty in our lives. And that is more fulfilling than anything else. But Goblin Town sells people these fake virtues. And sadly, our society has gone a long way to becoming Goblin Town. But regarding Sambalot and Tobiah, for the time being, I want us to really understand these two, Sambalot and Tobiah, as soothsayers of Goblin Town. Sinister oracles who have finally crafted eyes to seek out and discover righteous people who pose a threat to the grasp of wickedness on the world. I, I want us to look at them and realize that they have something unique about the spiritual in nature, their hatred for Nehemiah. You know, in their terrible soothsaying, Sambalot and Tobiah immediately detected a disturbance when Nehemiah came down from Susa to seek the well-being of the people of God. And it was as if they gazed into a diabolical crystal ball to perceive Nehemiah. Instinctively, as he came down from Susa, down to come to seek the well-being of Jerusalem and to build it up and to be there on the great walls, as Nehemiah comes down, they detected a disturbance. And instinctively, in their evil hearts, they knew they, they were motivated to keep anyone from seeking the welfare of Jerusalem and her people. Let us not be confused. Sambalot and Tobiah, they proudly made themselves out to be enemies of God. They hate the light that casts out the darkness, as do many in our world today. They did not want Nehemiah's Jerusalem to exist, for it would be a beacon of beauty declaring the holy covenant of the very God who made the heavens and the earth. A restored Jerusalem would be a beautiful city, and they hate the idea of it. Jerusalem, when Nehemiah is done, it will be a city of light where none may live in shame, and they hate this. The desire for her to be in ruins, so that her people may be discouraged in their God and come to dwell in the depths of Goblin Town, where they are cut off from communication with the light. And I want us to take a moment and illuminate the lie of Sambalot and Tobiah just to point out how important it was for Nehemiah to ignore it. They accuse Nehemiah of plotting war against Artaxerxes, the king of Persia whom Nehemiah served as cupbearer. And what's fascinating is there is enough evidence to make a compelling case for this. That is, if you're willing to bear false witness. Nehemiah actually used the king's finances to rebuild the city, including its structures necessary for war. Nehemiah has gone from being a servant with little power to becoming a visionary leader. He's risen to the rank of governor while restoring the heart, body, and soul of a disappearing nation. And if you didn't have eyes for truth, you could easily be convinced by this evidence that, well, Nehemiah actually is plotting war. The, the evidence that Sanballat and Tobiah accuse Nehemiah of, well, if you don't have eyes for truth, you could be convinced that it's correct. But nonetheless, it's a lie. And we have to realize this sort of lie, which is very powerful, very compelling, you cannot defeat this sort of lie or even hold it accountable by negotiating with it. 
You can't defeat this with technicality. You cannot defeat it or even hold it accountable by negotiating with it. You have to ignore it and move on with your life, and you have to fight it with the holy principles of God. But you can't negotiate with it, and you can't give up the high ground and descend down into its depths like it begs you to. And you know, the tactics of Sambalat and Tobiah, they are the same tactics that are used to bring destruction in our modern world today. They bring dishonest accusations, and they use compelling partial truth to bear false witness. These two tactics that we find here, the first being dishonest accusations, and then secondly, bearing false witness through partial truths, they are chief tactics of Satan. They're the doctrines of the diabolical one himself. This is what the doctrines of demons really are. And regarding this first tactic, evil likes to bring disingenuous accusations against people to keep them tied up in defending themselves against something petty. That's why it's, it's useless to try to, to entertain these things. These things are never about an honest pursuit of justice or truth, but they are about destruction. And you know them not by how they brand themselves, not by what comes out of their mouth, but you know them by their fruits. And you can tell when people are doing this by their fruits. Rest assured, people are being deceitful in their accusations if they're not willing to allow for truth, they're not willing to allow for forgiveness, restoration, or they simply keep moving the goalposts to ensure that you can't win. If they conflate your personal gift, guilt with you know the guilt of something that happened in the past, they are being disingenuous, and it is meant for destruction. Sanballat and Tobiah, they truly are siren soothsayers of Goblin Town, and ugly ones of that. They keep an eye out for someone willing to be a righteous man and then quickly come to call him down to the darkness that they might stop his righteous work. Nehemiah was the only man willing to step up to the plate of being a man, and they hated him for this. And this is the same. This is where we're at in our modern society. What they were doing was not unique to the time of Nehemiah, and it's everyday custom for the hideous augurs of darkness to call the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve to step away from the light and to descend down into the darkness. The doctrines of evil, they desire for all to be in darkness, where they will be equally reduced to something inhuman, separated from the light of their maker. And we have to realize that any desire to satisfy the taunts and accusations of the goblins will prevent Nehemiah from satisfying the work of his God. And this is just how it is. Satisfying the lies of goblins is an impossible game, for its rules are simple. Anything is allowed that keeps you from winning. And we see this game being played in our modern day and age. The absolute amount of bearing false witness that happens in the public sphere and how our public sphere is completely turned against anything righteous and truthful, it is utterly disgusting. But our comfort and our understanding of beauty isn't found in the world around us. It's found in God. And we've got to get comfortable with being surrounded by ugly things, not because we want them to be ugly. We want to build beautiful things around us, but because our comfort comes from God. So, we have to realize that the goal of this game of coming down, stepping down and negotiating, defending yourself against you know dishonest accusations, the goal of this game is to get you to spend your time, your energy, and your resources combating liars so that you won't be able to spend those resources doing the righteous work of God. Furthermore, the more you play this game, the further you drift from God and where he wants you to be. So don't fool yourself into, think that you can, into thinking that you can beat the darkness at its own game. You can't. You cannot beat this game, but it can keep you so occupied that you do nothing meaningful with your life. If you answer the taunts of Goblin Town and take them seriously, they will draw you down deep into the caves, down into the darkness. And with every step you take towards negotiating and answering for dishonest things, that will be one more step into the darkness where you become more and more blind, cut off from the light where you're not seeing clearly. 
Time is a thing. We only have so much time on this earth. And now God wants us to have time on this earth and he wants us to use it well. But the higher priorities are the principles of God. We're not just to be so fixated on the here and now that we, we forget the bigger picture. God calls us to be motivated, not by shallow things, but by the eternal truth and eternal beauty on his kingdom. And if Nehemiah comes down from the wall, it will affect every aspect of his being. His faith will be crippled, and he will fail both his God and the people he is serving. The men and women he's serving in Jerusalem, he will fail them. Nehemiah's focus on the holy and excellent nature of God, it's taken him from being an insignificant cupbearer to the great governor of the province of Judah. And the forces of evil, they're relentless in their desire to stop all things noble and honorable. Sambalot, sends for Nehemiah four times. He begs for Nehemiah to come down and join them below. And after getting four refusals, he sends a fifth time, but this time he ups the ante. He adds in an extra layer. He says, you know, there is this accusation against you, and Geshem says it's true. Therefore, Nehemiah, come answer for this. No, no, don't. It's dishonest, and it's going to be wrapped in partial truths. But it is a lie. It's bearing false witness. And, you know, lying and bearing false witness, there's, they're largely interchangeable, but at the same time, there is a, a bit of a distinction between the two of them. They're only interchangeable if you have a, a proper biblical worldview. There is an, a notion of idolatry with bearing false witness that you are claiming a reality exists that does not exist. There's an idolatry that says, I get to be the arbiter of what has moral value, what doesn't. I get to be the arbiter of what is truth, what is not. Bearing false witness is not just saying yes or no. Um, dishonestly when asked if you stole a cookie from the cookie jar. Bearing false witness is giving a dishonest representation of the world around you and taking some pieces of real truth and and saying they mean something other than they really do. It's, it's something which is so, so destructive, and it is subservient. The reason why the Ten Commandments are the way they are is because idolatry and not serving the true God of the heavens and the earth. There is something about that which trickles into all the others. And that bearing false witness, it is subservient to one's own idolatry, but it is nonetheless destructive. And I'm not here to rate out which one sin is worse than others. They're all destructive, even if in different ways. And we have to say no to them. Don't entertain them as if they're truthful. One of the big lies we have in our modern day and age is that all voices are equally interested in truth. It is not the case. It is just not the case. You don't have to answer for everything which is thrown at you. And after Nehemiah refuses four times, they send a fifth time with the, the anti-upt. And, you know, evil will not relent. And even though it's so exhausting to be constantly on guard against it, you cannot let it get a foothold in your life or in your society. And when Nehemiah refuses to come down, they plot to use his faith against him. Not only did they desire to bait him into cowardly hiding, but they also wanted to do so in a way that would defile the holy temple of God. They wanted to bring absolute destruction against Nehemiah, and it is so devastating. It's such a devastating thing. That's why Nehemiah can't give in to it. They're wanting to, to despair his name. They're wanting to, to make him lower himself where he's not the holy man that he, he was. They want to make it that he has some sort of fracture between himself and God, and it is so diabolical. We have to realize that evil's desire is for you. Its desire is for you. It's always been for you. Yes, it wants to make you sin. It wants to have things like that. But evil's desire is not just for there to be sin in the world. Evil's true desire is to have you separated for God, that it is the one ruling you because it wants to consume you. The forces of darkness, they'll gladly turn 
anyone and everything against you to bring destruction. We find this out in Nehemiah. The forces of darkness will gladly turn your own house against you, to have your neighbors come against you with the disloyal hearts and the disloyal tactics of enemies who want to defile you. They want you to be defiled against your God. Now, when we consider all of this in in light of the New Testament, in light of the, the holy and eternally true gospel of Christ Jesus, you know, Christ-like love is something which we have to always keep on the forefront of our mind. But we also have to have a healthy understanding of what Christ-like love is. Christ-like love does command us to love our enemies as our neighbors. And if we truly understand the love of God, we know that he desires even for Sanballat and Tobiah, these siren soothsayers of Goblin Town, to turn their hearts to him. Yet we cannot be confused on this matter, and we must truly understand what is going on and whom we are serving. Nehemiah is serving God, not the accusations of those who hate him. And that's really an important line to draw here. Loving your enemy as your neighbor is something we do because we're motivated to serve God. And what that means is we're not motivated to serve our enemies on their terms. We're motivated first and foremost to serve God. And the scriptures are pretty clear on this. You love God first and secondly, your neighbor as yourself. And the thing is, if we get those two things confused, if we start saying, well, we're supposed to love our, our enemies, therefore we loving our enemies means doing everything they want, right? Well, no, no, it doesn't. We love God first. And if they are asking us to do something ungodly, then we do not do it. We cannot be confused on this matter and must truly know whom we are serving. Nehemiah is serving God, not the accusations of those who hate him. Loving your enemy does not mean you are motivated to satisfy their dishonest demands. Christ does not teach us to step down from the holy principles of God in order to meet our enemies. We love them, we preach the light of the gospel to them, and we invite people, even our enemies, into the fellowship. And how do you come into the fellowship? Well, it's through repentance and baptism. And it's liberating for people to undergo Christian regeneration where one's old self dies and a new creature is born by the power of Christ. And I know we live in a day and age where the fake virtue of being inoffensive has come to reign so dominantly in our culture, but the truth is, there is a call to repentance in the Christian church, and that's quite fundamental to who we are. The repentance of sins, it is quintessential to the Christian life, and in order to become a Christian, one has to be born again through the power of Christ. We, we oftentimes, we have been rather weak in our interest to assert the fact that there is a call to repent, there is a call to to stand against evil. And we must realize that in the Christian faith, there is a time to say no. And we must do so when evil taunts us and calls us to step down. There is a time to stand up for the forces of uh, or stand up to the forces of the world and stand up for the the true and eternal principles of God. We must stand against the forces of the world with a firm backbone because their goal is destruction. Loving our enemies as our neighbor requires us to have eyes set on the holy principles of God without waver. And we must know who we are and whom we serve. This causes us to examine our motivations in life, not merely our intentions. You know, intentions are what you plan to do. And so many times we intend on doing things. We intend on our days going one way and they go a radically different way. Intentions have a much smaller impact on what actually goes on in our day than do our worldview, than do our, our beliefs, our values that we hold deep within our heart. We, as the church, we must show our neighbors a true alternative. We must show a true alternative in motivations. Nehemiah, he was motivated to serve his God first and his people second. We can't ignore that. 
Nowhere is he motivated to debate Sanballat and Tobiah over their dishonest taunts. It doesn't happen. He's motivated to serve God and his people, but nowhere is he motivated to debate Sanballat and Tobiah over their dishonest taunts. But our nation right now, and even the church, it is being exhausted with spiritual warfare inflicted on us. And much of this comes from people who want to step down and satisfy dishonest taunts, to satisfy dishonest demands. And it's destructive. You can't win that game. It's designed to keep you from any success. It's designed to be destructive. And we ourselves, we must stand firm and know why we make the decisions that we do. Our world is so hungry for revival and we must shine the light. We must show our neighbors a legitimate alternative to the world. And this means using different language, having different eyes, different goals, a different view on human nature, different method of salvation. And that's very important in the age of the coronavirus, the princeps elector. We must have different values leading to different topics of discussion. And most importantly, a different God. And while that may seem so obvious, I, tr I promise you, trust me, we have to have a different God. We're not just sitting around and promulgating a diet version of the, the secular worldview. Christ, he died on a cross to offer forgiveness to all who would come to him. And this means some beautiful things. It means no more grudges against people of the past. No more slavery to cult-like thinking. No more meaningless existence. No more slavery to experts and rulers. No more slavery to eternal death and decay. But instead, a wonderful new opportunity for honor, for real achievement, for peace and joy like never before, for value in your own mind and soul, to be a person who has value as an individual, whose life matters. You know, for, for in life, you to experience beauty beyond this world, for eternally faithful love and for perfection and approval before one's heavenly father that made you in his image. These are the true alternative, beautiful gifts of living on the way of life. And we have to understand that the act of standing firm against evil, it gives testimony of God to those in our world. There's a great opportunity to witness in standing up to dishonest and destructive forces. And now is the time for us to do so. For so long in the church, we have been shy about this, and we've got to be more assertive. We have to realize that there is a great testimony in standing up to evil. So often we want to be shy and sweep things under the rug and act like everything is so fine and dandy and hold no one accountable. Even within the church, we don't want to hold anyone accountable for the right reasons. You know, we might hold someone accountable for technicalities or something which can be perceived to be amoral in the sense of sin and, and holiness. But we need to start holding things accountable. Standing against the way of death, that has a testimony in it. It's, it's a wonderful tool of evangelism. You want to show something that's an alternative to our neighbor? Quit having the conversations the world wants you to have. If you're talking about things and falsely saying they're difficult conversations when they're the exact same conversations, the secular world, the commercials of Hollywood, they want you to have. You know, if you want to really have a witness to the world, let's start standing firm against this stuff and showing people the beautiful and noble alternative that is the gospel of Christ Jesus. There's a great opportunity to witness to our neighbors by standing up with a backbone against the dishonest and destructive forces. And now is the time for us to do so. Our world is so hungry for an alternative, and we must rise to the occasion as a priesthood of believers who share the gospel of Christ. Our faith is one that casts out the darkness, and we've been long too shy in this responsibility. The forces of destruction, they hate beauty, and we must show people the eternal kingdom of God that loves beauty and nobility. You know, we've been far too shy in the responsibility of casting out the darkness, and there's great witness and testimony in that. We have to remember, you can't defeat the darkness by doing the things the darkness wants you to do, by having the conversation the darkness wants you to have. 
Nehemiah can't hold everything together by stepping down from the holy principles of God to meet those who want to destroy him on their terms. He cannot be tricked by those who are traitors within his own house. And there's much we can learn in our current moment, and there's much we can do and have great joy as we stand with a firm backbone against the world, just as Nehemiah did. So let's close right there. We're going to close by saying the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And so, I do thank you for spending time with us today. And on that note, God love you, and have a blessed day.